Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, and I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. Dear 20-something started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful woman they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts we process internally, Dear 20-something is a space where listeners can hear insights, ask questions, and ultimately get advice from the woman they most admire. So today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Moj Madeira. Moj is an entrepreneur and CEO. She is an expert in the beauty, wellness, and CPG market, and currently is the CEO of BeautyCon, a globally recognized community for content creators, celebrities, fans, and brands. As CEO, she is responsible for driving brand vision for BeautyCon and its growth initiatives, launching the brand globally, which includes strategic media partnerships, content development, market intelligence, and e-commerce over the past five years. Moj is an accomplished speaker, business figure, and an active investor with international recognition for her expertise in Gen Z and millennial consumer profiles and behaviors. She's been named to multiple lists over the years, including ones in Cosmopolitan and Marie Claire Magazine, Fast Company's Most Creative People list, The Hollywood Reporter's Top 25 Most Powerful Digital Players, Women's Wear Daily's Digital Power Posse list, and Variety's Digital Entertainment Execs to Watch, and has traveled nationally and internationally to present BeautyCon's first market intelligence white paper, FOMO Volume 1. Sounds very intriguing. Additionally, Moj is an active investor and working on her first book and focused on bringing the industry together via beautyunited.org. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Moj Madeira. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I know this has been on the docket for some time and I just realized as you were going through my bio, I need to update my bio. I'm no longer the CEO of BeautyCon. I'm the former CEO and still the co-founder, but the former CEO. And yeah, my posts changed there in 2021. Amazing. Well, we'll definitely get into that. That's super exciting. And before we get in, like, what is the thing now that you are most excited about that you would say you've kind of switched your time to focus on? Most of my time is spent with my family and myself and my health, my mental health and investing in really fucking cool companies. That's the life. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a life. I'm doing a ton of stuff in the metaverse, which is like a passion of mine. And I love crypto. I love the blockchain. I love everything about the metaverse. So that is a lot of where I spend my time and energy these days. I love that. Sounds like a great life. I absolutely love it. And the metaverse is so cool. So much for us all to still learn. So I imagine that would take up time because there's cool companies, but also it's just like knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. I actually saw you speak at the BFF Minted event. I'm like also dabbling and getting interested and getting more women, especially involved in the metaverse and NFT space is really cool. So for me, it's like, I only have so many hours in the day and I can only join so many communities. And so for me, it's like picking which are the ones that I am most excited about and trying to like dive deeper into those versus spreading myself too thin. But in terms of like the knowledge, yeah, trying to learn it all. We'll dive into that more because I definitely want to hear your thoughts, especially for 20-somethings who I think it's kind of intimidating and scary a little bit. So We'll start at the beginning. I think to get context for your 20s, have to understand a little bit about childhood, what you wanted to be when you grew up. From the research I've done, it seems from quite, you know, an early age, you were super entrepreneurial. This wasn't something you just stumbled upon. But I'd love to hear from you. Like, did you always think you were going to go into business? What was that childhood dream of yours when you grew up? Yeah, I mean, I always wanted to be in business, always. From the moment I saw my dad carrying a briefcase and putting on a suit, going to work every day, I was like, I want to be that guy. My dad... Also tried a lot of different things. He 
made a chips company, like a chutney chip company. It's like curry chips in like the 80s. And was it good? Were they tasty? They were good. They weren't amazing, but they were good. I mean, I think that they would kill it today, like in the modern day, like sort of post sort of green juice kale world, they would do really well today. But both of my parents were entrepreneurial. Both of them were self-starters. Both of them were hyper consumed in of being like the American dream. We're immigrants. We are people who relocated to this country because of a revolution. And so we find ourselves in a strange land, strange language, and have done our best to make it in this world. And so it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. You got to see that growing up. So, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurial stereotype now, though, isn't the put on a suit and a briefcase. But it's funny when you think about it, that's like the traditional businessman. So back in the day, I can see how you were like, I want to be that. I want to do that. Well, I thought it was very cool because my dad was always going on a plane and I thought going on planes was cool. And I thought going to like other countries was cool. So I was like, oh, I want to travel and I want to see other people and I want to like do things. And so like to do that, you got to like do business and to do business you got to be like a business guy. Totally. That's fair logic. I can understand your younger self thought that way. So you knew you wanted to go into business. Were there any entrepreneurial ventures that you had or was it just business in general? Because obviously like starting something and having the lemonade stand is different than being sort of the kind of corporate day-to-day. I was literally that kid that would like go to the store on the weekend, buy like a pack of Starburst or gum and then sell them as individuals at school. Incredible. So it was there early. It's hindsight, right? You look back now and you're like, duh, this all makes sense. It all made sense. Like I was organizing races and organizing contests and organizing people and organize just I was really into the concept of building stuff. My mom gave me a couple books about entrepreneurship. I read about Henry Ford and Mary Kay. And I always thought of entrepreneurs as artists. I thought it was an amazing form of artistry, you know? Yeah. And it's like the truest expression of yourself too, to put something out into the world that you really believe in, which is awesome. So what was the first job? What time did that come and how did you like it? And did you have a first job? You know, because maybe you started selling Starburst and that's what, you know, carried you on. My first job was at Mailbox, et cetera, and Mrs. Fields Cookies. One of them was better for me than the other because I was eating too many cookies at the other place. I also worked in my dad's office, organizing documents and papers and files and putting stuff away and listening to him on the phone, listening to him negotiate. Yeah, I was always around work. Plus, we just like always did chores. Like we didn't have, I didn't even know what a cleaning lady was until I was like well in my mid 20s, late 20s. Did I even know that there was such a thing that like other people would come and clean your house? Like I just thought kids clean the house. So I mean, my parents were pretty middle class working multiple jobs, side hustles. I mean, their kids pretty much did all the like cleaning and lawn work and painting of stuff. And that's awesome. It teaches you to hustle. It teaches you work ethic and like parents are working, kids are working, you know, and everyone's in it together, which is cool. You don't see enough of that nowadays. So that's really awesome. Are your siblings also in like entrepreneurial or did they go down different paths? My younger siblings, both are pretty ambitious. One of them's a lawyer and the other one is an engineer and works with my dad. So yeah, they're both hardworking. And I left home pretty early, like 16 and a half, 17 early. So I just had like a different situation where I had to be out on my own a lot earlier than everyone else. So my hustle was a little different. Yeah, that's not easy. But I guess those entrepreneurial skills do come in handy when you're kind of like, 16 on your own and have to figure it out, make the life you want for yourself. What was that like 
around that time? And how did you make money? And how did you get from being a 16-year-old to where you are now and in your early 20s? Like, what were those first few jobs that you had to get on your feet? I worked at a coffee shop called Ulta. I worked in college admission, taking pictures of photo IDs. So it was just kind of random odd jobs to just make ends meet while you were pursuing something else? Or what was the goal? Survive, pay the bills, have enough money to buy cheese for Top Ramen. I mean, I think my early 20s and late teens were mostly about survival. I think being a brown queer kid is super challenging and problematic in the early 2000s. I think you're just trying to figure out how to survive mentally, emotionally. The world feels very violent. And so, yeah, I was just like super happy to have somewhere to sleep and cheese in my top ramen. And a good week would be being able to get groceries and stuff like that. I, I think I was mostly focused on like survival. I think the concept of thriving was distant. I had like fantasies and ideas of thriving, but I don't know that I necessarily had like an exact idea of like what thriving might be. Absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing that. It doesn't sound easy. And I think it's really amazing that you've had this whole career that you've had. And now you're kind of looking back at that generation and seeing 20 somethings that are brown queer individuals. And you're like, hey, you can figure it out. You can make it. And there's something really full circle about that. So, you know, you should be very proud of yourself that, you know, you've been able to be such a voice. And I know just as, you know, someone who's seen you on social media and publicly, that that's something that means a lot to you. And like you had mentioned earlier, mental health, when you're just surviving, it's nothing else matters, but eating, drinking, water, sleeping, being safe. It's like the basics. So I appreciate you being real about that. Yeah. I mean, I certainly didn't have like a plan. I had dreams. I had aspirations. I had fantasies, but I had no idea how I was going to like connect those dots and make those things happen. Absolutely. Is there one dream that you look back at that time that like kept you going or that you thought like one day I will have this or I will be this? Is there something that you can pinpoint from that time? I mean, in a lot of ways, most of my dreams have come true. I always wanted a family. That was always an aspiration of having a partner and having a kid or many kids or just having a family was like a huge dream. So that's a dream fulfilled. Being respected, being known, being celebrated, having a platform, being able to have a nice home and do good for other people. Like those were all ideas. Now the scale of those dreams have changed. I think the degree of what I want those things to be at have changed. But I think if I was like my 20 year old me and I was looking at my life today, I would be like, oh, wow, you've really killed it. You know, like I think <laughs> I think 20-year-old me didn't necessarily have such a huge idea of what it could all be, but it's pretty cool considering that uh, statistically speaking, I probably shouldn't even be here. It's really cool. And to imagine that younger self, sometimes it's like we get so caught up in the day-to-day, we forget to think about what would our younger self say if they looked at us now and really pause and be like, wow, I really have come a long way because... You know, now you're doing all these cool things and you're investing companies. It's the metaverse, it's the future. And you can get so caught up in like what's to come because it is exciting and you've fulfilled all so many of those dreams. But I think what also we've seen a lot on the show too, which has been cool is people get to take a second and be like, whoa, if I were to tell my 20 something self, they would be so excited for me. And I love that like the first thing you said too was the family part. And that's really special. I I know that's been a huge focus. I mean, listen, when you're queer, the first alienation that happens to you, at least as a first-generation Iranian queer, is that you're alienated from the concept of family. You're alienated from your community. You're alienated from your culture. You're alienated from 
you know, in my case, your siblings, your parents. And so I think one of the coolest things you could possibly have as a queer person is a family. It's like an act of revolt. And I think my wife and I think of our existence as an act of revolt, you know, like we understand that many, 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 many millions of people around the world do not have the freedom to be who they really are and that they're persecuted for who they are. So the very existence of us is a revolution on some level. I love that. And the existence of your child is a revolution. That That's so special. He's an Iranian boy. He is a, just like us. And so we're this little family and I think it's really rad. I'm really happy for you. I can see how proud you are. And I think it's really special. And the fact that also we're in a time where like, you can have kids as a queer couple, technologically too, that we have created ways for that to be possible, for you to carry a child and for you to adopt and for you to, you know, I mean, we have a long way to go, of course, but how lucky that we're born now, you know, and we've got a long way to go, but how lucky. Yes, very lucky. Thank you for sharing that. So as we were discussing early 20s, a lot about survival, lots of big dreams that now have fortunately come true and more dreams are being built. At what point did you start to like, find your groove? Because I know you really became a connector. And, you know, there's this story that you've shared previously about how you convinced like a Quicksilver CEO to give you an insane contract, insane. You sold yourself basically as an asset, which is incredible. Would you mind telling me that story and like when that happened in the timeline? Because I imagine correct me if I'm wrong, that might have been a turning point for you because that really was just like such a powerful experience. I had learned about the concept of like royalties mm-hmm. and I essentially had this client or wanted to have this client called Quicksilver and they were very aspirational in terms of surf lifestyle. And I had met the CEO of Airstream and I knew that Airstreams and surfers kind of had this connection, but I don't think they knew of each other. They were like two ships passing in the night and I had met the CEO of the parent company of Airstream and I had met the sort of visual and marketing director of Quicksilver and I was like, you guys should do a collaboration. How did you like get in contact with them? Like, how did you know these people? So I was like an event production and I was had produced a concert with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. One of the guests of the concert was a surfer named Kelly Slater. And because that surfer was as one of the hosts of this event, Quicksilver bought a corporate table. And because they bought a corporate table, I met all these executives because it was my job to make sure everyone had a good time. And so the executives who produced, you know, were involved in that event, enjoyed the event, and I stayed in touch. And a few, I think it was like maybe like a year or two later, there was a really well-known chef. His name was Fred Eric. And he was opening this concept in Beverly Hills called the Airstream Diner. He had convinced Airstream to be his partner on this diner. And he needed sponsors. He wanted to have Beck play this party. So I was like, hey, you know what? I know a sponsor, Quicksilver. (laughs) And I'll never forget, like I literally cold called this guy who had bought a corporate table. You know, I had his information. So I cold called him and I was like, listen, we're going to have this party in Beverly Hills. I'm producing it. It's the Airstream Diner. Beck is going to perform. Back in the day, he was having a moment at this time. I want to say it convinced them. I think it was like five or 15,000. I can't remember the exact number, but Airstream and Quicksilver became connected and Quicksilver sponsored. And I don't know. It was kind of, that was it. That sealed my, that got me like a seven-year consulting gig. Unbelievable. Yeah. 
And it was just because you were making connections. And I imagine you obviously had no idea what was going to come of it. You just thought, actually, this would be a great partnership. I'm going to do my friend a solid or I'm going to do this business a solid. Was that kind of the the thought process? I really, 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 really enjoy when someone's like, my dream is X. I enjoy like manifesting stuff. I'm like very good at manifesting stuff for other people. Interesting. And is it because you work hard and make those connections happen? Or is it because you feel like you help them work through it? Or what do you think is the thing? I enjoy like, like if someone's like, I want to meet the guy who invented the iPod, the engineering. Like I kind of like enjoy connecting people. I love mosaics. You know, I've always really loved mosaics. And I think life is kind of a mosaic. And I think being an entrepreneur is about organizing mosaics. And like, I'm a curator, like by trade, that's like kind of what my skill set is. Yeah. And when you say mosaics, can you give explain that to me? It's like a mosaic is like organizing the perfect dinner party or like the perfect... Like the com- perfect combination of things that like all come together. Correct. And I enjoy doing that. I enjoy thinking about that. Like I, anytime there's like a large curatorial experience, whether that's a playlist or products or investors and projects I'm working on, I always like to think about the like mosaic of people and like what unlocks the magic sauce inside another person. Like if everyone has trigger points, like a massage, you know what I mean? What's going to be someone that we can organize around each other that's going to like trigger interesting outcomes and conversations and ideas? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so applicable to all industries and all things. And that's probably why you've been able to span so many different industries and like be value adds as an investor because you're like, it doesn't matter what industry it is. I can create these moments and I can see across these different groups, which is really cool. I think extreme amounts of alienation, trauma, otherness create a certain amount of crystallized vision inside someone. And I think one of the outcomes is that you become hypersensitive. You become hypervigilant, hypersensitive. You're like become extra, 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 extra like empathic. And it's because you've like gone through like extreme amounts of emotional distress. You know how like blind people have like a heightened level of hearing? I think that happens emotionally where like people who've gone through stuff have like a heightened level of like feeling. Makes sense. But the beauty is you also take action on it because you could feel it, but you feel this like service to help others and kind of give back. I don't even know if it's of service because I'm doing it because it's how I feel creative and how I feel artistry. Yeah, it brings you joy. It brings me joy. Like I'm not doing it because it's like, oh, this is like the charitable thing to do. I'm doing it because I believe that good art and great, interesting ideas are a combination of energies come together. That's really interesting to hear you frame it like that. And isn't it amazing when the thing that brings you joy also helps others? Like that's the best thing, you know, you could ask for is that the thing that makes you feel most creative and makes you feel most fulfilled is also having like larger impact too. Okay, so you have this conversation, you make this connection, and this leads to a seven-year consulting gig. Can you tell me how that came to be? What was that consulting gig like? And did you do more of the stuff you're talking about? Did you kind of formulate this philosophy and really act as the mosaic builder or the connector, you know, whatever words you want to use to describe it? I did. I worked on everything from features in partnership with Sony Pictures. We did a couple movies with Stacey Peralta, store openings, store launches. We went through multiple acquisitions. And I met a million other clients through that process, right? So I think through that project, I met a friend of mine who had taken on a senior role at Motorola. So then I became agents. I mean, like I literally, it's hard for me to 
believe it, but I was like maybe 26, 27. And I was like the entertainment agency of record for Motorola. Like in North America, it was crazy. There must have really been a sense of like imposter syndrome. I'm 26. What is going on? How did you get through that, especially as someone who had experienced so much trauma? You know, the classic answer is my support system helped me. And I, you know, but you really just had yourself. How did you get through those moments where Motorola is on the phone saying, you know, execute on XYZ and you're like, I'm just getting started. Like, you know, it's a lot. What was that like? I had a wonderful time. It was great. It was the best. Working with a huge client that had huge budgets and I was able to hire big teams. And I mean, you're spending seven, eight figures on you're working with some of the best directors and commercial directors and production companies. You're having fun. It's awesome. You're producing huge events at Coachella. You're working with some of the biggest talent in the world. I had fun. I had a good time. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of stress. It was a lot of learning, but I had a great time. You know, I think a lot of people know me as a marketer. It's like the thing I think about the least because I've done it so much that it's like, I've like overpaid my 10,000 hours to become good at it. So it's like, it's not even something I think about anymore. It's how I function. But it gave me a great opportunity to like become really fucking good at marketing. And that's everything from commercial ads and international and billboards and comms and marketing and brand. And it was awesome. It was a great, it was a great experience because I got to do it over a series of years, you know, wasn't just like a one or two year thing. I got to do it for many years. So it made me great at, understanding how to pick products and brands and tell stories and marketing came very naturally to me. Yeah, that's incredible. It's so cool to hear you talk about it. I mean, and I think also the experience of working with so many clients, you kind of like, you get that almost like quick business school experience, like boom, 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 like that worked, that didn't work, that worked, that didn't work. And you're you're not like at one company for a long time, which maybe has its benefits, but like you had so many clients and so many varying different things you were working on. Sounds like you got a really cool overview. How was it running your own company? Did you like that more managerial ownership piece? It all seems so cute now, like when I think about it, because back then it was like, ooh, like so many people, like six people or 10 people. I mean, God, I think at the time my average burn rate was like 50, 60 grand a month, which sounds, I wish it's like, these are manageable numbers now, but then it felt very big. Still a lot though. It's still a lot. You're starting from somewhere, you know? Totally. It all felt so large and bigger than life. I mean, like I said, it was really very fun. But did I enjoy all aspects? No. I mean, operating at that level is requires a different skill set. And a lot of that skill set I was learning on the job. So it's not always fun learning on the job. What would you recommend? Let's say there's a young 20 something that loves marketing, wants to be a master marketer. Maybe they don't know which side of it they want to be a part of, but they feel like they have a knack for it and they like it. What's the thing you recommend they do? You know, not everyone can go start their own thing, but is that what you think is the best way to learn? What's your advice? I mean, I think there's some companies that are like world-class when it comes to some of these things. I would kind of go work at those companies, you know? Apple's one of those companies. Nike's one of those companies. NFL is one of those companies. Disney's one of those companies. I mean, there's some fundamentals that you can get from a lot of those organizations. And there's a lot of great agencies that are in partners with those organizations. So I think picking up the fundamentals somewhere is really key. I learned a lot from my Motorola years because the person I was working, my client was a world-class marketer themselves. And they really, I learned a lot of the fundamentals from them. So I think learning the fundamentals from someone is really important. And then now, God, there's so many great brands. I mean, there's so many you can pick, whether it's like Deathwater or 
you're looking at all these metaverse projects like World of Women or there's so many great companies now that just have mastered comms and marketing and brand and communication and a lot more competitive than it used to be. Yeah, but arguably more fun because now we've got a lot of people in the space and there's a lot of cool things happening, lots of creativity. People are doing things differently to stand out. So you're doing this consulting thing. You are having all these amazing clients learning all about marketing. What happens after you sell your company? Can you tell me a little bit about that part of it and then kind of what your next step is after you do that? And at what age did that happen? And and what was that process like? So that was like 2010. So I'm like 30 something years old. It didn't feel life-changing. It just felt like more work. You have to keep in mind it was the middle of a recession where the world was like fucking fireball. Nobody was having a good time in 2010. Not a good year. No. Yeah. Everyone was just happy to be like, I mean, I think they closed the stock market. It was like madness, you know, like it was just, it was awful. Like just stress. Like you're like, wait, what's going on? Like, I mean, I didn't know, even know like what that was. Like I I didn't fully understand the magnitude of like recession. So after that, I just kind of was like, I'm going to chill out for a second because that was really intense because it wasn't an easy time and it wasn't a simple time. Absolutely. And it's so nice that you'd work so hard you could afford yourself that that time to really like take a sec and think about what had happened in that crazy seven-year whirlwind. I mean, I didn't need much at the time. I wasn't like living an extravagant lifestyle. I kind of, what I wanted more than anything was time. And that's yeah. kind of what I got, you know? I went to Vietnam. Oh, yeah. That was cool. Nice trip. Yeah, it was a great trip. It was like a month, month long. It was awesome. Oh, wow. That's a long trip. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to Vietnam. That's very cool. I think what I was going to say too is, well, the misconception I think about money is people think that it's all about buying luxury stuff and living extravagantly, but like it really just buys you time. It buys you time to be with family. It buys you time to focus on your mental health. It buys you like all these things that I think are not often talked about, that that's actually the real luxury. So I'm glad you were able to take that time. And then I know you kind of transitioned into this sort of like investor type role, which I know you've continued on for a while. How do you like investing? I imagine it's so fun for you. It's like, I'm sure helping with a lot of the marketing and stuff, but can you tell me a little bit about like that kind of role and how you've enjoyed being an advisor and investor for a lot of awesome companies? I mean, listen, nothing is more gratifying than being able to help companies and provide them insights where they may have blind spots and help them think through tough next decisions. So I really love it. It's gratifying. It feels good. It's also close enough to the heat, but not in the oven. Oh, I like that. I'm going to take that. That's a good line. You can go home. They can't go home. Running a company is it's a lot of any yeah. size. doesn't matter if it's two people, 200 people, 2,000, 2 million. It's a lot of stress. Yeah. And you know, you've done it. You've done it. Very cool. Well, in terms of investing, I mean, I think one thing that we chatted a little bit at the beginning that I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on is, sounds like you're spending a lot of time now investing in the NFT space, metaverse, which is so awesome. And also think it's so great to be a woman in the space. We saw at the BFF event, like 4% of crypto entrepreneurs are women. I mean, it's very, very few. So it's important to me that I'm also educating our listeners. So could you tell me a little bit about what gets you so excited about this new space? I mean, you're sort of like always at the forefront of digital. You know, that's kind of how you're known marketing we talked about as well. So people will listen to what you say. So what are those things that you would say make this space so interesting? And like, what are you so excited about? The metaverse is the best thing going on right now, period, end of story. I encourage everyone who can to quit everything else they're doing and just do this. Quit everything that you don't have to do and give all your time to this. You will not be sorry. Everything that was good about Web 2 
is now going to happen in fulfillment in Web3. It's like the democratization of power, of influence, of audience, of consumerism. You will not see the next big company like, um, I don't know, a Warby Parker or Glossier be building that company without a Web3 strategy. You just won't. Pandemic has shown us that our system is pretty broken. It has shown us the flaws of capitalism, has shown us the flaws of how corporate structures have been built and how they sort of were built incorrectly. Not even incorrectly. It's just that model is dated, you know? We can rethink it now. We have the technology to rethink it. Or just like the trickle-down effect didn't happen. You know what I mean? It just didn't happen. It's like, you know it because your schools didn't work and your medical systems didn't work. work. It's like nothing worked. Like police are like doing things you're embarrassed and ashamed of. You're, You're just like... Your teachers aren't getting paid. Like all these systems that were supposed to work kind of just embarrassingly failed. And everyone now can't argue about it. It's not like political. You're just like, it doesn't really work. So you have to like re-engineer it. You're not going to do that through government. You're going to redo that by like creating a new currency. And that new currency is crypto. That's why it's so important that women and non-binary and trans and people of color and queer people be at the table because... There's no barrier to entry. There's no like credit line needed to like get in there and buy Solana, Doge, ETH, Bitcoin, you know, Flow, what have you. And yes, it's very shaky and funky structures and still not perfect. Nowhere close to perfect, but it is like where the internet was kind of in 29, 2010. I think people need to be there and they need to understand how this is all going to go. I love that. And, you know, you make a great point. We're, We're rethinking a lot of these systems that don't totally work. And the reasons a lot of them don't work are because those people weren't at the table when those systems were made. So why don't we actually get them there at the ground floor now so we build these right in the first place? I think there's a huge argument there for that too. And that's why we have to get so many more underrepresented groups involved because we can't make the same mistakes again. We can't build a second set of systems that's going to have the same problems. Is there a certain project or a certain thing? Like, is it climate? Is it, you know, education? Is it women's empowerment? Is there is like a certain industry that you're most excited about in this? But maybe it's music. Everyone's talking about music now, gaming. Is there something in particular that you as like a marketer and is all things digital, it's something you're excited about? I'm super interested in DAOs and tokens. I think that that's mm. super interesting. And I just think token gating and the DAO economics of like brands and platforms is going to be the most interesting thing out there. Yeah. And I think if you yeah. were like, what the fuck is a DAO? I think they should just start Googling and reading about it. It's essentially a large organization that has decision-making rights within a platform. And so how organizations, you know, the next version of Starbucks be a DAO, probably. Which is so wild to think. Democratizing ownership. It's called Decentralized Autonomous Organization for people that are listening. My next question was going to be exactly that. Like you say, stop all your free time and do this. What's the do this step-by-step? Is it Googling these terms? Read Read about about it. it. And take like some fractional percentage of money that you can afford, hundred bucks. And I know hundred bucks is a lot of money to a lot of people, but like even 30 bucks, even 20 bucks and just start to like play with it and see what goes on and like buy something and mint a project and read about this stuff and join a discord. I mean, this shit is going to be more impactful than YouTube and Instagram combined. Yeah. It's changing the way we do everything. So it's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. And I know you're getting really involved in a lot of cool works too. So awesome. Well, I do have Two questions. The second to last is just about mental health. You've been so vocal about prioritizing mental health. I think it's so powerful. And you're even saying now, like, my priority now is family. My priority now is me. My priority now is talking to my therapist. Super real. And I love that. You know, maybe it's not necessarily telling your 20-something self this, but like 
20-somethings now about mental health? Is there a practice that you feel like has really changed things for you or something that you really, really recommend so that people can make it and not just survive, but ultimately thrive like we talked about? I mean, listen, I think everyone's dealing with a certain amount of trauma, especially now with the pandemic. I mean, it's a lot of fucking trauma that's happened. One of my biggest gripes is that mental health is not available and affordable to everyone. And I think that's really a problem in society. It also comes with a lot of negative connotation. I think one of the reasons I was objectively so not participating in that, in my own mental health, was that I had judgments about what it meant about me. I had judgments about what people would think about me. And I think that I wasn't comfortable or confident enough in myself to really like explore that topic. And I think that's really a shame. And I think that's an outcome of the society we live in where dealing with mental health is kind of like good hygiene. And I don't think that it's necessarily positioned that way. It's like, oh, you're going to therapy, like something's wrong. You're like, or I'm just going to therapy because it's like brushing your fucking teeth, taking a shower, putting on deodorant or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just saying that I did not experience it that way until, you know, the past three years. And now I do, but I do feel sad for myself that I didn't have that opportunity before. And I do think that a lot of people like therapy is like a luxury time and money. Like that's something a lot of people don't have. So what are other resources that people can think about? You know, I think organizations like Al-Anon are amazing. I think group therapy is amazing. I think a lot of the apps, you know, whether I personally really love the waking up app, but I think communities that are about embracing each other through trauma and mental health and and talk therapy is super important. And I think that it's important to actually do the work. I don't know. It's about like a podcast or a book. I personally just believe in like good old fashioned therapy. It's confidential. It's private. It keeps you accountable. But again, I mean, it's really expensive and it also requires your time. So like You know, again, one of the reasons I think our world's about going through a big shift right now is I think everyone should be able to go to therapy (laughs) and I think everyone should be able to afford it and everyone should have the time to do it. And I think it's kind of a hot mess that we don't live in a society that makes that a priority, you know? So I'm hoping that through time that might change. You know, I'm really grateful that I am in a place in my life where I have it both as a resource and as time. That's so true. I mean, maybe maybe we'll see the next big Dow democratizes therapy and makes it available to everyone. You can only hope. I think that's such a great point. And and your comment is really well made about like the time investment too. It's not just monetary and it's not easy to find the time, but there are free resources and, and thanks for those suggestions. We'll definitely link those in our description. Awesome. Well, last thing we ask all our guests, excited to hear your answer. I know you've shared a lot of gems throughout this conversation, pieces of advice, but we ask all our guests, if there's one thing you could tell every 20 something in the world, what advice would you give them? I think we're in a place right now where for me, it's about like trying to learn, trying to observe, really trying hard not to judge. I think having like a lot of compassion and empathy right now is probably really important for everybody. And I think there's a lot to be said right now for just letting things kind of play out to see how it goes. You know, I love the 20 something energy of like really just like in protest of like dysfunction But I also think that we are coming out of a pandemic and living through a war and dealing with like a massive crisis of all kinds. And I just think that a lot of people are going through trauma right now. I think people should deal with each other as if everyone is dealing with trauma. And then we'll have PTSD as well. Whenever it does subside, they go together. And that's why I'm saying I think it's like important to do that because I think no one really knows what's going on for the other person right now. And we need to just give each other grace. Yeah. 
That's super powerful. And I think this cancel thing has gotten pretty wild and everyone's just doing their best for the most part. So I appreciate that advice. Don't judge, have compassion. It's fine to like judge, but like for myself, I'm really trying to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, like on every level, because I feel like if I don't like that person who takes your parking spot or, you know, takes two at the grocery store when you're only supposed to take one or whatever it is, shows up late to your meeting. I'm trying to not jump to like, this person sucks. And I'm trying to go to like, I wonder what's up with that person and what they're dealing with. Awesome. Well, can you please let everyone know where they can find you on social and if they want to DM you about their therapy DAO, where should they do it? I'm just Moj on Instagram and Mojism on Twitter. Hopefully soon to just be Moj at Twitter. My email is just my first name, last name at Gmail. So perfect. Keep it simple. This has been so awesome. Kat, Very impressed with your show and grateful to you and excited to hear how the feedback goes. And yeah, love to do a follow-up, but thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for your time. And I'm so grateful to chat with you and you've been an inspiration for me. So this has been super, super special. So thank you so much. You're very awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20 Something, anywhere you get podcasts. Mm -hmm.